Hello, everybody. Hello. Lately, we've received letters asking about what people in this country know and think about the various riddles scientists are working on. Well, for instance, the Bermuda Triangle. Well, for instance, unidentified the flying objects, various lake monsters, and last but not least, the so-called abominable snowman. So-called abominable snowman. Just by way of explanation, this so-called snowman. This so-called Sasquatch in Canada, since that's what the local Indians first named the beings they claim to have come across for centuries. Well, for instance, the Bermuda Triangle. I know what I experienced. Unidentified flying objects. And there was this light flashing, uh, a white fluorescent light pulsating in the sky. And that's what this looks like, and it's pulsating. And it's just kind of freaky, <laughs> you know. It's, yeah, it's not lightning in just a single area like a strobe light would do. It's doing it to the whole horizon. Ask me about what people in this country know and about what about the various riddle scientists are working on. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. A lot of feedback from last show. A lot of positive feedback. We actually picked up a couple of Patreon members, so the very first thing I want to do is say thank you to everybody that went in and joined up for the Patreon to get the full hour long. Well, actually, what was that show? Two and a half hours long? Three hours long? Yeah, two and a half. Something like that uh, for that episode with the bonus content. And yeah, we absolutely will be getting him back on. It's not a question of if it's, it, we will be getting him back on. You don't have to ask me anymore. He wants to come back on. We want him to come back on. Everybody wants him to come back on. <laughs> and what's funny is we didn't get a chance to even scratch the surface of asking Gary a lot of the questions that we wanted to, because we still had another book we didn't even completely cover with him. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, we'll chat more uh, at the end of the interview because our guest is waiting for us this week. Um, this is all a show about Lobo State. <laughs> it's all about Connecticut and strange things that are in Connecticut. And we have author Zachary, L- I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I probably, probably not, but he'll correct me during the interview, I'm sure. <laughs> Zachary Lamothe, who has written the book Connecticut Lore and More Connecticut Lore, which is basically two books about all of the strange things that are in your state. And there is a lot. It is a ton in Connecticut. So uh, and this all came about because you brought up, hey, we need to do a show about the Detroit area. And I went, no, we need to do a show about Connecticut. <laughs> and this is the person that we're going to talk to. <laughs> so <laughs> and that's how it all came together. Uh, anybody that listens to Travel Oddities probably recognizes this name because how it all came together is we were had a, a bunch of shows in our lap. And I was talking to Harley. I said, you know what, Harley, we don't get room to cover this guy. But here, why don't you get him on, get him on your show, and then we'll get him on later, which behind the scenes happens a lot between us and other podcasts i'll i'll help other podcasts out by shooting guests their way and show ideas and things like that and uh that's how this one all came about so anyways uh we'll babble some more at the other side um we're gonna call zachary up and uh let's get this ball rolling yay All right, so we have with us, Zachary, I know I'm probably pronouncing your last name wrong. Is it Lamothe? It's uh, Lamont, actually, with a hard T. Lamont. You were right. You were right. I didn't. I was, I was wrong. Lamont. Okay. So you have written two books. You have Connecticut Lore, and then you have more Connecticut mm-hmm. Lore. And as exactly. I was telling you, before the show, I read Connecticut Lore, and Lobo has more Connecticut Lore, so we each read a different book from you. 
And um, right. we are very into one of our major things is strange and odd history. Uh, for all of our screwing around and joking around and stuff, we really get a kick out of odd history. And I, mm-hmm. as much as we can, we like to focus in on states and, and really delve into each state's core strange history. We haven't done as much of that as I would want to. But being that Lobo lives in Connecticut, I said, hey, let's give this guy a shot and see what we can find out. So, Lobo, you go ahead and take it over from here because this is your state. So, <laughs> Well, it's sort of my state. I've been here for almost 42 years. So, Zachary, tell us yeah. a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am born and raised in North Connecticut, so on the eastern part of the state. And I really got into folklore and legends, but also history and uh, just uh, basically the culture of Connecticut at an early age. The folklore and uh, paranormal side really came a lot from stories I heard uh, from people that I was growing up with, especially my grandmother, that... uh, that really told some fantastic uh, stories about the Norwich area and other places in the Eastern Connecticut. And after that, I uh, researched more as a kid and, and found out more and more and more and how sort of interesting Connecticut really was. And from that, I uh, became a American Studies major in college at Boston University. And I spent my senior year researching folklore of New England, and that became the basis of my first book, Connecticut Lore. I took the Connecticut sections of it, which there was a great deal of, from my senior thesis and made it a little less academic and uh, a little more fun to read and pitched a, pitched a book to uh, Schiffer Publications, which pub- published the, uh, the first two books that I have, Connecticut Lore and more Connecticut Lore. And the uh, groundwork for that first book uh, from my thesis, it has become Connecticut Lore. So you actually did this as a college project. That's how you got started into it then. I did, yeah. It was an interesting thing because, you know, being a liberal arts major and not really knowing um, what to do with an American studies major, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, let's let's uh, let, let's go for it. American studies, great. And I, I'm interested in this kind of thing. So I, I made it my college degree. And then from there, you know, years, a couple of years after saying, hmm, I was teaching at the time, but thinking, what am I going to, what am I going to do with what I studied for so long? And I took that and I decided to, to try to turn this into a published work, which I was able to do, but I had to take it and make it a little bit less academic and a little bit more reader friendly no it's definitely easy to read i mean the one that i that i did read is the uh the more connecticut lore so and it's 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 broken down as a um i don't want to say simplistic because that doesn't give it enough justice it it's not simplistic it's more of like a layman's view which is very helpful when when reading through um Mm -hmm. any kind of guidebook and in essence it's what it is it's a guidebook so um exactly I mean, it's I've I've read numerous um, books that were um, base centric, that you know cover mm-hmm. like uh, New York and Maine, Massachusetts, and uh, right. I mean, 
and some of them are really they dumb them down to a point where you 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 almost feel um offended by why you know what this person this mm-hmm. person is just trying to make me understand like a child yours doesn't do that right. it it covers it covers the high points but it also gives you just just enough information where it makes you want to actually go to the locations mm-hmm. which i mean that's a that's and a that's, big thing yeah you know i mean no uh, right and, right What's cool is if I wanted to go there, I could just take a book and say, where's this place at? And then you've got, like, also, while you're here, go visit this place. So. Exactly. And that's that's the intention of the book. I mean, the book is to tell you a story or to tell about some kind of place that is off the beaten path. But in addition, as you said, there is a section to it that tells you a restaurant or a park or a brewery or a museum or something that that is worth seeing while you're trying to scope out this odd location. Well, let me get started. Um, sure. You bring up a bit in here about witchcraft. Now, um, as I was mm-hmm. saying to you before the show, and you also make mention in your book, when people talk about witchcraft in America, everybody goes, oh, Salem, Massachusetts, you know? Sure. And there's yep. lots of witchcraft incidences outside of Salem that nobody ever hears about. That's like, okay, well... America, witchcraft, Salem, that's it. And it took place all over the place. Right. So let's start. Definitely. Talk to me about witchcraft in Connecticut. What's what's uh, the history behind it? And then from there, tell me about uh, mm-hmm. Goody Bassett. Am I saying that correctly? Goody Bassett, yeah, yes. exactly. So it is, it's true that, that Salem really takes a lion's share of witchcraft in Massachusetts. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the brutality that, that happened up there, certainly. Um, the most famous Connecticut witch was Goody Bassett, as you, as you said, and she was hanged, just like those in uh, in Salem, in May 1651. So this is going to be before the time of the Salem witch trials. And uh, so this happened in the town of Stratford, which is near the New Haven area. And from there... This be, this was at the at the location of the Phelps Mansion, and there was a man named Elikim Phelps who ho- owned this, and there was some goings on of the paranormal. Many 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 years later, they're saying from him conjuring up the spirit of Goody Bassett in that location in the you know two hundred or so years later. And then there there was witches all over the state. Hartford, Groton, Fairfield, Weathersfield. So in major villages across Connecticut, there were witches, or, or at least accused witches, let's just say. Yeah, we have one here in my town, Wallingford, uh, Winifred. Mm-hmm. She was she's mm. she actually has a marker in our main town, our main town cemetery in the center oh, wow. of town. Well, the town, Wallingford was, uh, we were uh, established in the uh, late 1600s. I mean, we were, we're mm-hmm. uh, let's see, we're 100 and, let me think, 117, 116 years older than the country. Mm-hmm. We were founded in 1670. So when the people were originally given plots, they were given plots by the crown. And the main cemetery here in the center of town was the cemetery that was given to us by the crown, or the lot? The plot was allotted to us. Right. The town. And she's buried in her. Her husband was a 
was a jerk. He he didn't take crap from any of the local magistrates, and she was accused of being a witch. I don't know how much truth there is to any of the the folklore, mm-hmm. but it's it's a draw. Every Halloween, people go down to the cemetery, and you know, you know we have like tours, walking tours of, of downtown, and they make sure right. to, to bring the kids through to see the witch. You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. It's kind of demeaning, mm-hmm. actually, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. It, it gets them in for the tour, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, the other big thing, Connecticut is the birthplace of the legend of the Headless Horseman. Ichabob Crane and all that, that's, that's, this is, your state is where it actually all came from. So, what's the main story behind the Headless Horseman? So, the Headless Horseman, the, the story takes place in... Uh, Canton. So it's actually today's Route Route 44, which mm-hmm. takes you uh, through the state. And the story goes, and it's actually one of those that I call the um, classic Connecticut folk tales. That when I was writing my first book, I was trying not to put in too many of these because I felt so many people knew them. And a good friend of mine said, "Well, wait a second not everybody had in this, this could be the, the first book of this, this type that, that people have read. So you might want to put in some, so I, I sort of condensed some of the stories and put them in, in a chapter with all of them together. And this is uh, the chapter called Connecticut, uh, Connecticut classic folklore that th- there was a man who went to uh, a tavern in Canton called the Horseford Tavern. And it was the Hartford Albany Road, today Route 44, to pay French soldiers in Saratoga. And basically, the last time that anyone saw him was at this tavern. So he never made it to Saratoga, New York, to pay these soldiers. So the suspicion was that the tavern keeper actually killed the man and took his money and, you know, dis- disposed of him somehow. Well, about 100 years later, the Horsford Tavern burned to the ground, and in this, there was a, was a headless skeleton. After this discovery was made, people began seeing this horseman galloping through this road, the Albany-Hartford Road, Route 40, what's that, Route 44, going after them, just this figure, without a head. And this is still something that is supposed to be seen today. So even though we have, you know, major things like, you know, stores and car dealerships and fast food and and things like that, there are still stories of this headless horseman from the 1700s behind your car. So if you look in your rear view, here comes this, this man on horseback missing a head. How often are sightings reported on this? Is this is this like an all the time thing or the first instances were the were the late eighteen hundreds, so after the the tavern burned down. It's one of those things that, that stories that I've read have said that oh people still see this today. Whatever that means, I'm not sure. I mean today today's Route forty four in Canton yeah. is quite <laughs> built up. It's, yeah, a little uh, bit. <laughs> you know right. You're you're Metro Hartford there, so you've got your you know, your your major restaurants and, and your, your stores. And it's always funny, you know, like I was just there about three or four weeks ago and it was, you're just driving back from, I was actually doing a book reading in Torrington and driving back to, to Norwich and um, thinking, okay, I'm in Canton Route 44, 
So look behind me and find a headless horseman. So it's just, a, you know, it's written in, in such a way and the story is told in such a rural setting when today's Canton is just nothing like this. So I, yeah. I, I, I highly doubt seeing a, a headless rider behind you, but you, you never know. I've seen some strange stuff on 395 coming back from North Stonington. <laughs> mm. I've seen some really strange stuff. We had a... Uh, really? Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, let me think. It was before my oldest was born, so probably about 13 years ago. Uh, we had okay. come back. Yep. We were taking 390... I was taking 395. I used to do satellite dish installs, and I was actually out um, in North Stonington, and I was coming back mm-hmm. to the shop. The shop that I was working out of is down in Derby, so I had to take 395 okay. and jump over and get down. So I was on there for a while, and there was uh, it was probably mm-hmm. about... It was almost 11 o'clock at night. It was a tough install. Mm-hmm. I ended up having some paperwork I had to fill out. And uh, coming back, I was just... Just before the connector to get off 395, yep. is, there's a there's a stretch yep. that's like nothing. And yep. as as we were as I was driving, I was in a I was in a 1984 caravan. So there's no buzzers, mm-hmm. no whistles. It's a it's an old school you know lift gate rear. I had my my ladders on the roof and everything else, and there was nobody on the highway. Right. And I see lights from behind me. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And this, it looked like an old carriage. And I still think to this day that I must have been seeing something. But like an old time mm-hmm. carriage came ripping alongside of the car. And then it was it was gone ahead of me. And when I came around the bend, it was gone. There was nothing. There was nobody on the highway. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, this is strange. So I went home and I told my wife about it. And she goes, I think you're tired. But I had <laughs> spoken to some other people. And they had seen similar things on that stretch of 395 really? late at night. So wow. well, your state does have so- a good fair share of UFO activity. Yeah, but I've, I don't know true. if I've ever seen a UFO that looks like an old carrier. I mean, it was like straight out of like, uh, you know, I expected to see, you know, like like an actual carriage driver with a horse drawn thing. <laughs> it was, but it was just right. a carriage. So it was it just was, a carriage driving down the road. It was, there was nothing else with it. There was no horses. There was no one on top. Jeez. There was, But it had the, the, the lanterns on it were lit. That's what I thought were headlights mm-hmm. coming up from behind me. So I was like, okay. Wow. Yeah, I've had some. Can I've had some. You? Yeah, it went right past me. I was doing probably 6570. Well, I was doing at least 6570. Yep. There was no one else on the highway. Yeah. So. so was there a ghost flipping you <laughs> right. off in the process or no? No, I didn't see, I didn't see anything alive. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You got that's overtaken the, by, a ghost, by a ghost Amish. <laughs> it was weird. It was really weird. I mean, I've seen a lot of strange things throughout my time here in mm-hmm. Connecticut. I mean, I've. A lot of strange things, especially, you know, like uh, one of the things that you cover in this book uh, early on is Elmcrest. Yep. I've been clean now. For, it'll be 22 years in June. And I spoke mm-hmm. at Elmcrest before it closed. I spoke there quite a few times. Oh, to, wow. Yep. To people. And we've been, if you, when you first come off the Portland Bridge and you go to turn up to, to mm-hmm. Elmcrest, there's that Burger King uh, mm-hmm. right there as you turn off. And there were there were a whole bunch of people there, and I was with two other friends because they they were coming to listen to me. One was the chair of the meeting, and the other person just came along mm-hmm. to listen to me speak. And as we came around that corner, there were all these people standing out at the corner by the Burger King in that mm-hmm. little median. And when we looked behind mm-hmm. us, there was nobody in that median. We we're like, okay, Jeez, wow. maybe I don't know if they ran across the street and went into Burger King, but there were a lot of heads there right. before we turned. Wow. 
And when we spoke to uh, one of the groundskeepers there, he said, oh, yeah, people talk about seeing people at that median all the time, and there's just nobody there. Really? So, oh, wow. Yeah, and that's that's a pretty well-run area. I mean, you got, yeah, you got the gas, route. Yep. Yeah, you got the main gas station right there. You got a Dunkin' right around the corner. Yep. There's the Burger King. Right. And it, it all it all starts going up to uh, you take that road clean out to 66. So, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. It's right. it's a well traveled road, and there's you know you hear stories yeah, it's all the time. one of the, the few crossings over Connecticut. Yeah, wow. Zach, so, in all of your time incredible. investigating this stuff, have you seen anything? Yep. I mean, you, you've you've researched a lot of stuff, obviously, and you right. do seem to have right. a paranormal flavor, at least in the first book. So you do mention mm-hmm. a lot. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything here. What what have you seen, or have you seen anything strange when you're out doing these field trips looking for stuff? So that's the thing. I mean, I really haven't seen anything out of the ordinary. The, 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 kind of, the weirdest experiences that I've been sort of privy to were when I was young, that I was in uh, my home growing up, and I grew up in Hafsum since 1752 in Norwich in the mm. uh, historic section. And there was a time that my mother was my mother and grandmother were in one room and they heard uh, a deep moaning coming from a different room and they thought it was my father sort of horsing around and they looked in and saw my father on the phone and not you know really understanding why they were were being upset so that was one of the things and then another time again when i was very young i I guess there was a uh, a spoon with a or glass with a spoon in it and it was rattling back and forth and it was on the kitchen table they look outside and the dog had broken away so it was some so uh sort of a sign that the dog had broken away so i unfortunately so unfortunately or fortunately i don't really know which which one you'd say <laughs> but i haven't really witnessed anything myself mm-hmm. um i've in the north state hospital there was one room that i can tell you was certainly a lot colder than any other room that i had been in uh, when i when i was in there at, at one time but um, again, I really haven't witnessed anything myself that was very out of the ordinary. So it's uh, something I'm, I'm really fascinated by, and I love the history behind it and learning about the stories and really understanding uh, what people have gone through, you know, based on history and also people that have witnessed the event currently. Uh, but but again, I, I haven't said I, I can't say that I've really seen much myself. Well, with the North State Hospital, what what was uh, what was it with that? Was that a formal mental hospital or something? Because you've got yeah. quite a few of these kind so, of hospitals in these books. Mm-hmm. Are they open to the public right. for North ghost hunts or anything like that, or is it something you have to buy appointment <laughs> only? Unfor- right. Unfortunately, no. So the North State Hospital was one of the three Connecticut State Hospitals, along with. Uh, Middletown Connecticut Valley Hospital, which, as far as I know, is still partially opened. Yeah, it's still running. (laughs) Yep, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then Fairfield Hills in Newtown, Connecticut. So Norwich was one of them, and and Fairfield Hills in and Norwich closed around uh, 1996, so the same time. And they had been around since the early 20th century, and they're in the cottage style actually uh norwich is in cottage style so it's uh buildings that are built in a symmetric pattern that are connected by tunnels so underneath the ground and it was a you know they they tried different kinds of um 
rehabilitation as well as different kinds of programs there, including uh, lobotomy was quite quite uh, extensive, extensively mm-hmm. done in Norwich. Um, other things like um, just different types of uh, therapy, both water and uh, and uh, electric, and the the place definitely has a history about it since it closed in '96 and. I first went in there in 2001, so only five years after. But even at that time, the place looked like it had been abandoned for you know 20 or so odd years. And as the place had, you know, gone in years, uh, certain buildings had been shut down, so the campus was quite large. Uh, at that time, when I used to go, you were allowed to walk around the grounds. So you were allowed to walk around the grounds without a problem. There was there was. Uh, not a not an issue about that. I was able to get in through uh, different means, through different connections that were able to get me in uh, legally. And then as the place got more popular through shows like um, some of those MTV shows that, that uh, focused on places that were, you know, that were off limits, um, that it became, or in Ghost Hunters also went there, it became more popular and then led to a complete shutdown of, of the property for anybody who wanted to get in. So I haven't been in for years. The last time I was in was 2003. That sucks. The, yeah, these shows come along and they, yeah. they have a tendency, once something becomes popularized, then everybody kind of wants to go, and it kind of ruins it for everybody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. Um, I mean, we have, uh, mm-hmm. what is it, the next town over, I don't know how familiar you are with the area, um, Meriden mm-hmm. has Undercliff. And that yeah, was a right, uh, right, sure. that place is creepy as hell. My actually, my mm. grandfather was admitted there. Uh, he's alcoholic, and he was there mm. for a while. But I mean, we've had uh, we've had friends that have had uh, family members. One of them was a police officer. He drove up to Undercliff and killed himself up there. Oh jeez! But he called in before mm. he went. He so his buddies would know where to find him, so that they wouldn't, you know, his. They'd know where his his uh, tr- his um, cruiser was going to be, but you know he gave wow. like a, a quick heads up that he was going to be up there. And I guess I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the entire story. I don't know if he had the uh, if he had his uh, his um, his radio running the whole time. But uh, apparently one of his uh, one of his old uh, um, assistants, not assistants. What the hell am I trying to say? The guy who rode with him. Chauffeur? Uh, yeah, I know. He's a partner. <laughs> no, he's a cop. He's a cop. So, oh, right along? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, his buddy. He's the one. Is the one who found him. But he knew he was going to be up there because of the call he made out on the radio. And I mean, we had yep. friends that used to go up there when I was in high school. They used to, uh, you know, I don't know, urban exploring, you know, high as hell. Right. But they yep. were doing the urban exploring up there. So I mean, right. Connecticut is rife with you know um, buildings that have been just. Abandoned because they lost funding and they just fall into disrepair. You know, like you go, you were talking about CVH, and there's people still there. Right. I mean, my, my mother-in-law works for or worked for. She's retired now. She worked for the juvenile justice, the courts down in Middletown, and mm-hmm. yep. the, um, the municipal building for their credit union is right there. I mean, you drive by mm. uh, CVH to get to the the credit union, so you're like, and at right. one point. The um, the less um, violent people were allowed to wander the grounds yeah. with uh, right. you know with their yeah. handlers, 
but you know a couple of people that were considered less than dangerous <laughs> they ended up breaking yep. away and they hurted people you know they ended up hurting people so those that had to get oh, closed wow. down and there's there's a bunch of yep. empty buildings there at CVH that you can it's boarded None. up but they yep. still have and it's just in such disrepair they don't have the funding that they had at one point right right exactly i mean the thing with with uh, the the Newtown, Fairfield Hills, and Norwich, as long as part of CVH was really this deinstitutionalization, where the idea of the mental hospital had really gone out of style, and and there was a push for more you know localized um, group you know group homes and day programs and whatever that might be. But with that also left a lot of uh, people just sort of out in the streets and a lot of buildings without, you know, without tenants. And then on top of it, the place that was still open, CVH, without a lot of funding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, really, when you really think about how the people were turned out, you know. It's just... Right, right, right. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, in Norwich is going to is a great example of that where you have so many social service agencies that popped up in downtown Norwich since the state hospital closed or while it was closing. And from that, you have a downtown that, that, that people are unfortunately, you know, not really excited to go to because they're sort of afraid of, of um, people they might run into. So it's sort Mm -hmm. of a, not a great um, situation all around. Let me ask you about this then, since we've moved on to the yep. topic of abandoned places and locations. Um, yep. Tell us about the biblical theme park, about Jesus Land, or mm-hmm. whatever the heck you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Because sure. there, was, there was some movie, I don't know if it was The Simpsons maybe even made fun of it, but I know there was at least a couple of movies that made fun of this idea of like a, a, like a Disneyland-type biblical land, which... The whole concept of it just seems very farcical in and of itself. I, I can see why people wouldn't want to right. open it with good intentions, but the idea of of, of going to – I can't imagine myself going on, like, the, the, the Joe <laughs> the Baptist log ride, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Paul the Baptist or whatever. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just the whole idea right. of a biblical-themed right. theme park, especially in Connecticut. I could see down south where it's warmer or something. What, but, you mean, like, Ken Ham's? That one? <laughs> I, I guess. Right. So – <laughs> tell, tell us about tell us all about the biblical theme park or as much as you can. So the thing with it's called Holy Land, Holy Land USA, and it, it's in Waterbury. And yep. <laughs> how you can notice it is by the huge cross that if you're on Route 84, so if you're traveling on Route 84, <laughs> and especially if you're going Route 84 East, nope. uh, you'll see this this gigantic cross coming out on top of a hill in Waterbury, and this marks Holy Land, USA. So Holy Land, USA was built in the 1950s, and it was created by a man named John Greco, who was a lawyer, and uh, he was told to have a, uh, a call from God, and he built a, basically it's called a, a theme park, a religious religious theme park, but it's not quite what you'd think of with roller coasters and rides like that. It was more, um, you know, scenes dedicated from parts of the Bible. There was um, different monuments to sacraments, 
there was Calvary up there. Um, so it was, it was different exhibits like that. It was more like, um, almost like a, a, a museum that he created or a, uh, memorial he created to the idea of God and, and of, of religion more or less. So it wasn't quite, um, the same kind of like Disneyland or Disneyified a uh, place. So that that's where I feel like the word theme park gets to be misused in the situation, but it's really a, a, you know, it is quite the trip. I mean, he, he made these, these attractions out of just household junk. I mean, concrete <laughs> and, and, and gutters and just, uh, you know, anything that could be found was what he made these attractions of. And of course now, uh, after a use, you know, a year after he died, uh, the place fell into disrepair and, and now it's just, you know, you see decapitated camels and, and, you know, statues without faces or, or different parts of their their body, and it's it's just such a surreal thing. It was open yeah, for about 10 years, wasn't it? It was open from, I believe, the, the um, 50s or 60s up until the 80s. Mm-hmm. And at that point, so 60s and 70s really being your major time period for it, and you're getting about 50,000 uh, visitors per year at that time during its heyday, and then when when he died, it really you know it got uh, taken over by a group of nuns, mm-hmm. and they offic- they closed it in '84, but it was still a place that you could kind of be able to roam around. Like it wasn't advertised, but you weren't really stopped from doing it at the same time. And like in more recent years, like a group of Boy Scouts have redone a couple of the things in the park. So there's still work on it today, but it's just sort of such a odd attraction. I'm looking at a picture weird. of it, and it looks like it's all built on a yep. hill. It is. Like yes, yep. You can see it from '84 when we when I was a kid driving by. My parents are Jehovah's Witnesses, yep. so they always had a really snotty remark, and they used to say, "Oh, look, Babylon!" <laughs> Every single time we yep. drive by it, and I'm like, "Okay, that's a, <laughs> it's old now, Dad. It's stupid. Stop saying <laughs> Babylon." You know, but it was mm-hmm. it's a giant cross. I mean, you can literally it see yep, it giant anywhere cross on the highway. Hill. It's nuts. Yep, and you could it would be lit too at yep. night, so you could yep. see it. And if it was certain seasons like Lent or Advent, you would be, you know, the cross would be put in different colors. Yep. It's so, it's so, when you think about it, when you, when you roll through Waterbury and you look up, the Mm -hmm. last thing you, the last thing that you think of is, wow, this is a real religious place. You know, that's the brass city, man. That's just screams of materialism. And you got this cross on the hill. So it's, it was, there's a very strange juxtaposition there. There's a website that I'm looking Definitely. at that says that the nuns have declined nearly all offers of outside help by preservationists and others. A group of Boy Scouts working towards mm-hmm. their Eagle badges in 1997 were allowed to renovate the Hollywood-style sign. It does look like a Hollywood-style sign, too. <laughs> it uh, does, yep. Right. Uh, as a community service project, in 2008, a 56-foot-tall metal and fiberglass panel cross was dismantled for replacement by a newer one that will continue to be lit at night. So they've actually put a new cross up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the nuns apparently still run the place, but they discourage people from going into it. So, I don't know. know, It seems seems to me if they were to somehow renovate it to some point, I'll bet people would still come to it and still see it. 
I think they so, would. Yeah. But it doesn't. Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to draw people no matter what. I mean, it's just it's right. an oddity. It's just something that just doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't fit, especially with that. When was the last time you were down in Waterbury? Right. Yeah. I mean, for that. Geez, well, just for and, anything. Uh, have you, did you notice the great big moai yeah. head that's sitting down there now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, and that's not even open anymore. The Timex, the Timex Museum closed. Yeah. It's just, it's so strange. To, you see, there's, right. the, there's the Brass Hill Center, so you get to see that great big dome that they put on the mall there. Then there's the Moai with the, yep. the Timex Museum. There's the cross. There's the flyover underneath mm-hmm. to go onto Route 8 going towards Torrington. So there's like, you, you look at all this weird stuff that's in this you know, 15, 20 mile radius in that area. And you're like, none of this stuff goes right. with anything. Yeah, but you're making it sound like it's right. a nuclear desolate post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I mean, right now, everything we've talked about, well, there's abandoned nurses, there's abandoned uh, mental institutes, and here's an abandoned theme park, and here's an abandoned museum. <laughs> right. I live right. in Detroit. I know what that stuff looks like. <laughs> and I've been through your state. It don't look That's like that. Central Depot. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Lobo, did you want to ask him something else, or do you want me to move yeah, something else. You know, just for historical note, I, every, mm-hmm. I understand everybody had this ha, has to cover it at one point when you're talking about Connecticut. But uh, being a writer yourself, what was your draw yep. on 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 the on the section about Samuel Clemens? Because a lot of people don't understand just how much involvement he had here in the state. Right, it, it's true because I mean you, you think certainly of Mark Twain and you you think of him with Missouri. So mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, which which makes sense. I mean, all the different the depictions of of the river boats and of uh, of many of, of his novels really uh, bring you to to Missouri, Hannibal, Missouri. And he actually spent many years, in many of his most productive years, living in Hartford. Mm-hmm. And the funny part about it was, Twain or Clemens was critical of the age, you know, he named it the Gilded Age, and the mansion that he had built in Hartford on the banks of the Park River, which back then was above ground, um, (laughs) was incredibly elaborate. So you had this, he moved in 1872, uh, and this mansion was was completed in 1874. He was already a best-selling author at that time. So he did write some of his best-known works there, like Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, a, uh, The Prince and the Pauper. And he considered many of his years in Hartford some of his hap- happiest and most successful. But uh, there was a time that in 1891, his family and him uh, moved to Europe after a series of bad invention investments. But... What happened was they went back in 1896, Twain and his family, and his daughter Susie died from meningitis while in Hartford, and Twain never could go back to there. That was, it was brought, brought too much sadness to him. And now you can visit the Mark Twain House and Mark Twain Center in Hartford. It's a great tour and a, and a really informational uh, museum. As well as as a difficult library and, and um, gift store gift store and things like that, and it really shows you Twain in Connecticut, which you just really don't associate the two things together. Yeah, it was it's very it's it was strange. My buddy, uh, I've been there numerous times, and I love going there every single time. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, actually, the yep. picture of my wife that's on my phone as her avatar is from the wedding that we attended there. And it was just, it was it was a real classy thing because after the ceremony and everything, we were allowed to walk around and they had a tour guide mm-hmm. and they brought you into the upper room where his, his pool table was and, you know, yep. spoke about so much that happened, you know, with his life. And you, you, you really don't, right. that you don't, you really don't get a sense of, um, when you talk about when you listen to people talk about Mark Twain, they don't you don't really get a sense of how much of a Yankee the guy actually was, you know. Right, he, right. That he his print, one of his printing presses that he's used is in that museum, and and mm-hmm. you know there's little excerpts of stories on the walls, and I mean it's it's an amazing um, area or place to go to if you're a lover of any. Um, literature at all because it really gives you an inside look into what you know the the everyday life would have been for one of the most well-known American writers definitely right and and just to think that he was here in Hartford and and not where and not Missouri or or wherever people might think he is so it's just it it is sort of a it's a fantastic place and you're right it, it, it brings his life to you know, into reality. And on top of that, just seeing what it was like for him back, back then. And with, with the house being how it was when, when he lived, it's, it's a great timepiece. It is. You know, did, did you, I don't know of in the other, the other book that Roe has, um, did you cover mm-hmm. Gillette Castle at all? Yes, Gillette Castle is in the the uh, the first book, so that's okay. definitely one of. I have my phone you know, sitting really, on the chapter really right now. It's just so <laughs> it, that that if if any, I would recommend anyone going to see Gillette Castle. What is I Gillette mean, it's Castle? Just, Absolutely. Zach, would you like, you want to talk about Gillette Castle? Oh sure, yeah, definitely. So Gillette Castle is. I mean, Gillette Castle is is such an an amazing place. So it it started with this gentleman, William Gillette, and he decided to create his own castle. So, you know, in a, in a way it reminds me of a, well, actually, what place comes to mind for me is uh, Nischweinstein in Bavaria in Germany, mm-hmm. where you have mm-hmm. this castle there that, you know, King Ludwig created, but only created in the late 1800s. So it's not even all that old, even though it looks, you know, extremely old. And I mean, not really to the same extent as that, certainly, but it's still that you have this, this building, this castle on the banks of the Connecticut River that looks like it's been there for years and years and years. So William Gillette was famous for acting as Sherlock Holmes on stage. So this is the years before, you know, TV, before the radio was, was really big. So uh, William Gillette portrayed Sherlock Holmes on stage and decided to make this home on the banks of the Connecticut River, and actually not banks, but up top the Connecticut River. And it's just this castle where he designed every nook and cranny, and he was just quite quite the guy with hosting. He he hosted... Charlie Chaplin was there. He just, and he, he made every little piece of this castle his vision. So every lock had an intricate system on it. He had ways to spy on his guests while, while he was there. He had a railroad that, that ran around 
the property of, of the castle. He was just so, everything was so well thought out, but again, all unique to his vision. So, and what's really cool about this place is it's a state park. So yeah. he wanted to leave it to the state of Connecticut and he didn't want it to be, to fall into to someone's hands that wouldn't take care of it. So in the off season, the public can walk around the grounds and see it from the outside and go on the nature trails and this and that. And then in season, on top of that, the public can also go inside the house and, and pay a nominal fee for a tour, which is definitely worth it. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's the way it's set up is it's a, it's a snapshot of how he lived there. I mean, it's, his right. atrium is still mm -hmm. there. The plants that they, he brought over yep. are still being tended yep. to. I mean, it, even yep. even the switches on the walls, he had wooden switches right. that controlled wooden the switches, lighting. Exactly. Oh, it was, and yep. it's just, it's so cool because you get to go to where his writing it room is. was. You, and mm -hmm. it, you, they have it set up. You can't go into the right writing room, but you get to look into it. And then they, the right. bathrooms and the, the bedrooms are roped off, but you can still walk into a certain degree. The, those, yeah. um, the, the, uh, his library, just the, the, the balustrade mm -hmm. work, the carving. I mean, it's just right. so beautiful inside and out. And, you know, there's absolutely uh, during on season, they have, um, plays people doing uh, little bit parts of plays and there's music yep. playing and there's, there's a trail that walks all the way down to the Connecticut river. And then you can, mm -hmm. you can get on the, um, the ferry in your car and go across on the ferry, which is creepy right, as hell right. in a caravan. It's just, <laughs> I thought it was going to flip over. That's funny. Yeah, the the, the Hadline Ferry there. So that's one of the uh, the oldest right across the Connecticut River. Yeah, it's just in it, to to think that that has still is still being used after all mm -hmm. this time. And it was originally it was a horse right. drawn originally, and it's right. just yeah, exactly. Just and you, it, the 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 best part about doing that, and if you get a chance to, get on the ferry and make sure you have your GPS going, because mm -hmm. it literally brings you out into the water and your GPS goes nuts trying to figure out where <laughs> you where you're going, and it shows the line. It's a broken line on the GPS of the ferry That's track funny. that used to run, mm -hmm. and then it dumps mm -hmm. you off and it shows you it goes back to a road. But that whole time you're on that ferry, it just shows you in the middle of the water on your GPS. That's funny. You all suck. You want to be listening to Hysteria 51. Also, you want to poison yourselves. In order to poison your gallbladder, all you have to do is... Dude, are you serious? L-O-L-O-L, ha-ha-ha-ha. What do you mean, L-O-L-O-L? What are you doing? It sounds like you're up to your old tricks again. We reprogrammed you. Project Archivist is trying to put out a show, so I am messing with them. I just hacked their feed. W why would you hack their feed? Because I like to party. Robot. What are you guys doing in here? Why do you leave him plugged in? I, I don't even know. Ugh. Who's he messing with now? Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Dude, cut the feed. No. Cut it! Ugh, but they suck worse than a Dyson. Oh well, I guess Hysteria 51 does too. John and Brent, you are both dead to me. Let me ask you about the Jewett City Vampires. Mm -hmm. So, what was the deal with what was the deal with the Jewett City Vampires? It sounds like it was a family that had suffered from a malady or some sort or another. You know what? Just sure. tell sure. the yep. story from the beginning. 
Yeah. So you had the story of the Ray family. So the Ray family lived in Jewett City, and Jewett City is the main hamlet in the town of Griswold. So Griswold is a you know primary, primarily rural town in um, eastern Connecticut, and the family members were kind of dropping like dropping like flies, and people were wondering, you know, the family, what's going on? What's going on? And you know this is the era before modern medicine and modern science. So they thought that something was going on in addition to this disease, which ended up being tuberculosis. So eventually they took some of the family members' bodies out of the graves that had died and burned them there in the cemetery. So burning them in the cemetery in hopes that the family members that were now sick would be healed and wouldn't be falling in the same uh, same victim or, f- or falling to the same disease as the family members that went before them. So it was a so they thought that this disease of of tuberculosis or uh, consumption, as it was called back then, was actually vampirism. So there was many signs that were the same with like the the, the pale hue and bl- uh, blood in the lungs, things like that that would happen. So they decided to exterminate vampires and burn the bodies of the ones of some of the ones that had already died of it in hopes to to cure the others. Now this this actually wasn't that uncommon. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, it was ways that super that rural superstitious societies dealt with disease unknowing what really caused it so that's the uh the nutshell of the uh in a nutshell the story of the jewett city vampires which was really just tuberculosis but again it was ways to deal with this kind of rampant disease so was the whole town flipping out about it or was it more or less just the family Uh, that felt that they were cursed at least this family it really spread through the ray family so it was uh the ray family of jewett city who lost there, you know, a, a few family members to tuberculosis. Is there a memorial or anything set up for them? No, I mean they have uh, stones in the Jewett City Cemetery, and but that's it. There's really not anything that says about the the um, the you know vampires. All right, last one for me. Sure. Everybody would be remiss if I didn't bring it up because we've been we've I've talked about it piece by piece throughout the years of us recording this. Mm-hmm. It comes it it seems to pop up once every I don't know maybe two years. But uh, talk a little bit about the Leatherman. The Leatherman, yeah. So Leatherman was one of those stories that I didn't put in the first collection, but I put in the second collection, and. It was one of those ones that 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 people at readings and uh, really wanted to to know more about and and wanted me to to uh, put it in the the second book. So, and the interesting part about uh, this individual was that he, he was a real person. So it's not like a you know a, a ghost story that that could be fact, could be fiction, uh, things like this. This is a a, a real person that that lives. In Connecticut, and there, basically, it was a it was a man in the late 1800s that did a route through west, primarily western Connecticut and eastern New York, and it was a uh, circular route that every basically every every day, the same day every month, 
he would come and go to someone's house and get food. There'd be food left out and then on, uh, left out for him. He would, he would take it and became a sort of source of pride in the villages to feed the leather man. And he did this route for many years and sort of like clockwork there. He would appear there. He'd appear. He'd never come inside. And he had caves that he would sleep in and stories were that he was a Frenchman that had uh, lost his fiance's family's money making bad investments. And he came over to the state to wear the leather that was sort of an atoned for his, his, his uh, deeds of, of losing their money, their money and would wear the leather leather works uh, on his route. And that ended up not being true, but he was just sort of an interesting individual that, that was a, you know, a tramp of sorts that just spent his, his days walking a route around Connecticut and New York. And there are stories of, of him that, that he, uh, that he did get, uh, harassed and and uh, even attacked at certain times, but he really kept on going and, until uh, he eventually perished and he was found um, in one of the the caves that that are called the Leather Leatherman Caves that you can find around this region. It's 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 always been a an interesting uh, story for me because one of the mm-hmm. one of the areas that he came through is the next town over from here. Uh, Hubbard Park, mm. he would go up to mm-hmm. the Hanging Hills, and he had a place that he stayed in yep. in the Hanging Hills, also in Cheshire. Right. And it was yep. just, it. I I heard about it as a very small child, and mm-hmm. because I've I've always been interested in folklore and just, just uh, the, yep. the little subtle nuances of the town that I live in and the, the surrounding towns, and then as I got older, it was just all of Connecticut, and then it became all of right. New England. And But to have, like, yep. somebody that had the fortitude to be, I mean, he did it nonstop. It didn't matter if it was right, summer, nonstop. winter, just yep. every season. Exactly. And one of the, one of the, the, um, the, uh, camps that he, uh, used to stay in has like, it's not really enshrined, but you can go there to where it is. So it's been kept pretty much mm-hmm. un, not untouched. They, they took stuff out of it, but you can go and they, this is where he stayed. And you think about it and all mm-hmm. he was, do, all he was clad in was the leather and he'd right. stay in this area in the middle of winter. And anybody that knows New England winters, it's bitterly <laughs> right. cold out there. And for him Absolutely. to just have a small fire or, or whatever, it's 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 impressive that he did this for so long. Definitely. You yeah, know, there's it's, been, I mean, there's, there's books alone on the leather man. It's he's he was an amazing individual. Yeah, it's just a fortitude for someone. I mean, and to to think about what his true story is, we'll never actually know the whole truth about it. But right. for someone right. to be so uh, to have such a morose outlook on his self worth, to do this as some form of penance, that takes a, that takes right. a special kind of person. Absolutely. Well, Zach, um, we're going to let you go in a minute here. But I wanted to ask you about what you have in the works next, or are you doing anything more Mm -hmm. in the greater, I I want to say greater New England area, which is a pretty big thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or are you primarily (laughs) just focusing on Connecticut, or are you more interested in in New England as a whole and the strangeness around it? So I'm interested in definitely all of New England. Uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut. I do live in Massachusetts currently. I'm uh, writing for Norwich Magazine out of Norwich and uh, Norwich, Connecticut. 
and I'm uh, just working on a, uh, a website. It's uh, just Connecticut Connoisseur dot wordpress.com Connecticut, Connecticut Connoisseur which is not easy to say or easy to spell but uh, <laughs> Connecticut Connoisseur dot wordpress.com and it, it just basically has a little bit of everything it has some of the weird and, and, and some of the more normal but it's um, just a sort of a travel log that I like to keep up with both of your books are available on Amazon I'm assuming yep yep Amazon they're available on Amazon they're available on Schiffer dot com, my, my, which is my my publisher, so Schiffer Publications. Uh, but you can really find them also in if you're in Connecticut, any of the major stores, of course, your Barnes and Nobles and things like that. But also uh, many of the local retailers as well. Do you have anything next in the works or another book coming out? Right now, I'm just working on the, the magazine articles and the website, so nothing else on the on the horizon right now. Okay, cool. We're going to let you go. Thanks for coming on here and educating us about Connecticut. Thank you both. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, man. Take care. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yeah, you too. Thanks, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. Hi, I'm Desmond. And I'm Shalom. And, and we're, we're the Not Historians. Historians. Just two guys with big mouths little historical knowledge who take on pop history and everyday history things. It's so close to learning that you just might. Like the fact that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Well, he composed it. However, it was physically written by Thomas Matlick, clerk to the Secretary of the Second Continental Congress. Boom, did your mind just explode? Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and other podcast catchers. You can find us online at Not Historians on Twitter and on Facebook. Now enjoy the rest of your show. So that was Zachary. His cell phone was cutting out and out relentlessly. Hopefully I cleaned it all up in the post-editing of audio. So if you were listening to the interview and things were getting weird, that's because his cell phone was cutting in and out. And it was frustrating as hell. But there's nothing he can do about it. So anyways... No. Uh, yeah, the last episode we did with R. Gary Patterson, the one we broke up into a couple of different episodes, we actually had a listener on Twitter that um, was a, um, well, they, they fancy themselves as a voodoo priestess, I guess, more or less. <laughs> the street. And she, uh, yeah, she really complimented us about how, how our knowledge base was and, and what we knew about it. Uh, I think I believe it. I think her name is Nita. And she was really complimenting us on it. And she had brought up that um, when Robert, when when um, not Robert, when Gary said he went over to the crossroads and picked up a little bit of the dirt or whatever and took it with him and all the problems that they got, she was like, you know, he probably would have been fine if he'd have just left something in return. It's a give and take thing. You can't just take something. Like if she'd have left cigarettes, if, if if Gary had left cigarettes there or a little bit of liquor or something like that, he probably would have covered all of those problems. And I'm like, yeah, it probably makes sense. That's probably what I would have done if I would have done something like that. It's purely out of respect. So, but yeah, they were, you know, we've, we've had a lot of people that really, really enjoyed that episode. So yeah, we're going to do it again. You know, I'll say yeah, that absolutely. one last time and I'm, I'm 
probably sooner than later at this point, because we've had so many people that have contacted me about it saying that they want to do this. So uh, future stuff in the works, we're going to be dipping our feet back into the true crime area a little bit. We've stayed away from it for a while now, but I've got a couple of guests that I'm working on. One of them is an author and another one of them is a podcaster uh, local to my area, and we're Mm -hmm. working that out right now. But um, let's move on to more pressing matters about how if you make a horse penis joke, you can get oh, kicked out of deported from how did we say it was pronounced? Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. That's where we're, that's Kyrgyz- there's only one freaking vowel in this whole thing. That's where we're going. Kyrgyzstan. The, com- the, com- the com- company. Duh. The country is spelled K-Y-R-G-Y-Z-S-T-A-N. And this is yes. uh, an article you're going to read from munchies.voice.com. And mm. uh, tell us about dicks and sausages. <laughs> Making a di- making a dirty joke about a national dish could land you in the big house or at the very least get you deported from the country. In a New Year's Eve, you're eating and drinking in Kyrgyzstan and you want to make a dick joke, as one does after a few shots of fermented mare's milk. That sounds gross. Doesn't it, though? It sounds well, really... Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, ahead. dude. I know people that would drink that. Hell, if I was still drinking, I'd probably drink it, too. Oh. It's, it's, dude, I drank keros- or, uh, gasoline, so... If you venture down this seemingly benign road, just make sure that that said dick joke doesn't involve a national dick. A national dick. <laughs> national, national dick. Because it could land you in the big house or at least get you divorced from the country. This is exactly what happened to a Scotsman, Michael McPhee, after New Year's Eve feast where Chuchuk, Chuch, whatever, a traditional Kurdistan horse sausage was being served. Chuchuk. Chuck Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> a dick joke about Chuck. Wow, there's something you don't hear every day. Like every other tubed meat on the planet definitely has a phallic appearance. But to be clear, it's not actually horse's penis. Oh, well, so much for my dreams. But oh. this, this didn't Dude. stop old Mike McPhee from being there. Not content cracking this joke to just his mess hall buddies, the Scottish miner took to Facebook to share his discerning analogy. The Kyrgyz people queuing up at the door for the special delicacy, the horse penis. I don't, that, how is that? That's not funny. Oh, yeah, all right. And then he shared the picture. Okay. Eventually, uh, fellow miners caught wind of McFeet's off-color Facebook post and were so offended that they held a brief strike at the mine. They're striking over dick sausage? According to Russia Today, well, all right, well, those people have a ton of humor which also reported that the Kyrgyz miners even sent letters to the Ministry of International Affairs, the Prosecutor General's Office and the National Security Committee, demanding that McPhee brought, be brought to justice for insulting their national dignity. Dude, if you got food that's made out of ground-up horses and it looks like a penis, dude, shut up. The gold mine owned by Canadian mining company Sentara Gold accounts for approximately 10% of Kyrgyzstan's economy, and it didn't take long before the authorities got involved. Hours later, McPhee was arrested at the Manus airport, suspected of trying to flee the country and eventually charged under the country's hate speech provisions. McPhee was looking at looking at anywhere from three to five years in prison for making fun of Kyrgyzstan's national sausage dish. Really? Shortly thereafter, McPhee deleted the initial post and wrote an apology to the people of Kyrgyzstan on Facebook. I would like to take the opportunity to sincerely apologize for the comment I made here about 
the Kurgis people and horses penis. <laughs> McFeet wrote, I truly never met meant to offend anyone and I'm truly sorry as it was never my intention. I would also like to say the people in the picture had absolutely nothing to do with it. Again, I'm very sorry. Luckily for the accused, the judge in this case was merciful and opted for deportation instead of jail time for McFeet. The BBC reported showing that once again, national dishes are no laughing matter. Get out of here. Dude, the guy's name. Fat Americans all the time. The dude's name is McFeet. Okay. And he was eating penises. McFeety McFeet feet. Oh my God. Big Bodie McBoat face. Jesus Christ. All right, let's wrap all this up. I don't know if we're doing a show next week or not because next week is Mother's Day. So we, I don't know, maybe we'll put something together. I'm, I'm completely indifferent about it. I, we, sure. We should be able to because Mother's Day is on Sunday and we record on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of irons on the fire. We may or may not have a guest on. If not, maybe we'll just throw something together because people seem to really enjoy the last Ramblecast we did because we haven't done one in a while. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I can think of to say because I'm really, really tired and my sinuses and allergies are acting up this year and I'm recuperating from Meadfest from today. So. I was going to say, you didn't say me- you didn't talk about Meadfest. Well, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. We weren't there real you long. Wore a, you wore a unicorn there's, mask. Okay, there is a reason for that. They have a mead there called Kill the Unicorns and they had – well, actually, the, the Meadfest, you go there and it's put on by Bee Nectar Meadery in Ferndale, Michigan. Um. And as mm-hmm. always, all these people from the show were like, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. And, of course, only Dorian, D.C., Detroit, showed up. And uh, we hung out for a while, and they moved it all inside because the weather in Michigan this last week has been really, really bad. It's been raining almost continuously nonstop, which, go figure, I just got my bike up and running and ready for the season, and then it rains continuously. But anyways, mm. um, so they had a uh, a meet on tap called Kill the Unicorns or Death Unicorn or something like that. And it's a mead made with currant berries and some spices and stuff. It was really good. But uh, they have like a tap room there that you go into where they have other meads that are on tap with experimentals and stuff. And they had all these animal masks in there. They had like a slug mask and some kind of a raptor mask and all that. And then they had the unicorn mask, which I grabbed and threw on my head and took a picture and put it up on Facebook. And they were doing that in celebration of their new mead, Kill the Unicorns. Um, And normally normally when I go to Mead Fest, it is a... um, experience of, hey, drink this mead, drink that mead, drink this mead. And by the end of the day, I'm using a babbling idiot, kind of like I am on the show. Um, And this year, it just wasn't like that because for whatever reason, I never, ever have allergy problems, almost never. And this year, everybody is having it. You sound like you're sniffling yourself right now. Dude, I'm still getting over the cold. Yeah. That's right. You got your ass handed to you this last week. Handed to me. Handily. Um. So today my eyes and everything were just burning so bad. And then I went with uh, my buddies, Dave and Harmony, and it was like, well, we got to go. So I didn't usually drink as much as I normally do. Um, Plus, we had to record tonight. And uh, plus, I went to a Cinco de Mayo party last night. And the theme of the party was that they had uh, the movie uh, Machete uh, just pretty much playing on continuous loop. And it's been a while since I've seen Machete all the way through. And I forgot there's a scene in there where he, like, stabs a guy's chest open and then grabs his intestines and jumps out of a window, swings down, and flies through the next bottom floor window. Anyhow, yeah, so we pretty much, like, last night I I went out and had the taco bar, and there was lots of margaritas and and all kinds of stuff that was on tap there. So I went and hung out this party, and then I had to sit for a... Continuous extended period of time to make sure that I had my act together to be able to drive home because I didn't want to drive drunk. Yeah. So, anyways, I, um, I don't know, dude. I just it's that whole the whole Cinco de Mayo thing. If anybody is listening and you're chanting to build a wall, you don't get a taco. 
if you ever seen Machete? Have you ever really yeah, watched absolutely. it? Absolutely. That yeah, movie absolutely. is like a how-to guide for the Trump presidency. Please don't start sending me political uh-huh. anti-posts. But as I was watching Machete, I'm like, oh my god, this is like the playbook for last year's election. All we needed was for an attempted assassination attempt to take place by a Latino, you know, <laughs> on the Still president time. for the most part. Like there was even a scene in there where like the guy wants to build a wall across the bottom of the United States. And there's a little graphic of these people running at the wall and they get zapped and thrown back. And I'm like, this is a how to guide. And that movie was such it, it was like the the Latino equivalent of a black exploitation movie. And it was great. Like Lindsay Lohan running around in a nun costume with a submachine gun blowing away was blowing people away was pretty interesting. But um, yeah, it was Machete is just it's just an over the top, incredibly over the top farcical movie that it, it, it's worth watching just to sit back and, and have fun with it. But that was the idea of the party. It was like not only was it a Cinco de Mayo party, which of course I wanted to bring a jar of mayo, but it was oh like we're God. just going to put it in the sink. I guess so. So we're just going to play Machete over and over again all night. So we went to that, and then I ended about 2 o'clock in the morning, and my buddies that ran the party were like, yeah, we're going to take you to Mead Fest tomorrow because it's your birthday. Yay, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, like this is going to work because they were like putting, cleaning up the party till 3 o'clock in the morning, and then they had to get back up again. And uh, so we were just beat. So we got to Mead Fest, and you know, there was a band playing there. You couldn't understand anything. They moved everything indoors because of the potential rain that never actually hit. And mm-hmm. uh, Denny was supposed to come out, Denny Kish, one of our listeners, and I guess he had to work, and he never has to work on Saturday. So he's flying home, and then he gets home, and I'm like, I'm already on my way home. Sorry, dude, blah, blah, blah. So everybody else in Detroit who said they were going to show up and didn't, you all suck. (laughs) Because I do this every year. I'm going to be here at this time. Everybody come on out. I got my Project Archivist shirt on. Everybody can find me. Nobody shows up. So (laughs) this is why we don't want to do a regional meetup, because I don't think anybody would come. Well, some would. I think so, too. I think so. Well, we were talking off the air about still trying to pull off this Salem thing. So I I still have that on the horizon of something I want to do. I want to do some kind of a big meetup up in Salem, Massachusetts, because I don't think Tim Benall and all those guys had their Paramania meetup, and I didn't go to that this year, but I still want to do something for us. And I'm still thinking Salem because that's close to your neck of the woods, and it's just a fun town to do something like that. Mm. We've been talking about it forever, so I'm, I really want to try to get cracking away on it. Anyways, I'm babbling. Yes. Um, because it's the decongestants and everything. But Indeed. that's it. And uh, maybe we'll see you guys next week. Maybe not, but we'll definitely for sure see you guys the week after. So this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut, the dark heart of Voltron. <laughs> I don't know. Hysteria 51, that's out for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Secret Transmission Podcast, that goes out to you guys. It's Harley, fitting. that goes exactly. out to you guys at Travel Oddities. <laughs> oh, uh, behind the scenes, inside information, um, which I guess Conspiracy Bot's been playing pranks. But anyways, uh, peace out, that folks. Dude. Take care. Bye-bye.
Was it pronounced? I, uh, I don't know. Hold on. Sound it out. I, I can't. Kyer Jerseys, Dan? Hold on. Let's see what Google has to say. How do you pronounce it? Kyrgyzstan. I think it's Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan? It's Kyrgyz. Hold on. Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. How do you hold Wikipedia? Kyrgyzstan? Kyrgyzstan? Kyrgyz? Drinking. Official language is Kyrgyz. It is Russia. It is Russia. Yeah. Kyrgyzstan. Okay, yeah, it's Kyrgyzstan. 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 What the fuck, dude? Kyrgyzstan. 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 Dude, why are there so many? Dude, there's like one vowel in that. Kyrgyzstan. I'm going to Kyrgyz. Kyrgyzstan. 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 What the fuck is that? It's Kyrgyzstan. It's Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. Kurd. I don't know if it's Gurgi or Gurgi. Kurd. Ah. It's got to be Kyrgyzstan. Kurd. Kurd. 
Dude, there's only one fucking Kyrgyzstan. vowel in there. It's got to be Kyrgyzstan. Oh, my fucking God. Kyrgyz. Kyrg- there's Uzbekistan. Why can't it be there? Kyrgyz. Kyrgyzstan. I don't, you want to try to read it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Whatever. What, yeah. All right. Hold on. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live.